0: Yeah, man, what a blessing this worship team is, and even just that one song there, man, what a beautiful name it is, and I know on Sundays we're going through the book of Acts, and I just thought of Acts 4.12, you know, there's salvation is found in no other name except the name of Jesus Christ, there's no other name given in heaven or on earth, it's only in the mighty name of Jesus, and I love that in that song, but um, on Thursday nights, if, if you haven't been here with us, we're going through the book of Daniel. When Pastor Zeke is in here, we're going through the book of 1 John. And we're going to be in 1 John tonight. It's near the end of your Bible there, 1st, 2nd, Third John. And then Jude and Revelation. And 1 John is truly one of the great books in the Word of God. It's only five chapters long. One of my favorite pastors, speakers that I really enjoy listening to is Jay Vernon McGee. And J. Vernon McGee always said when he would take a new pastoral position, the first book that he would go to was 1 John. He felt so strongly about this book, he felt if there was one book that believers needed to grasp, this was it. And I, and I found that interesting with when I, I was studying 1 John and reading about J. Vernon McGee. But the last time we were in 1 John, it was before Easter, so it's been quite a while and before we get into our message tonight, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. We're only going to go through verses 12 and 14. But last time we went through verses 3 to 11. And I'm going to spend probably a good 15 minutes. Uh, some of you were here for it, but uh, many of you were not here. And I think it's so important just to grasp what we're going. Because, man, what's the rush to get through this, right? I really feel we've got to grasp this book and when John writes this book of 1 John, it's near the end of the first century. He's about 90, 100 years old. He's no young pup, you could say. In fact, at this time when he's writing this, he is the last apostle standing. But just as a reminder, why did John write this letter? You see, John was writing this letter to refute a false teaching that was rising among the believers, and it was Gnosticism. And in Greek, Gnosis, G N O. S-I-S means knowledge. There was this belief out there that the Gnostics had some secret knowledge that the rest of the believers didn't have. And man, John felt so strongly about these false claims. Probably no other disciple felt so strongly against this because Gnosticism, it it degraded the deity, the person, and the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So like I said tonight, we're going to be just kind of We're going to go through verses 12 to 14, but just want to spend a little time through those verses 3 to 11. And last time when we were together, we brought up the question, how do we know that we are a true Christian? They say that some people get so good at deception, they actually deceive themselves. You've probably heard the cliche question, is there enough evidence in my life to convict me of being a Christian? And even though it's cliche, I truly believe it's a great question we should be asking. If I were to stand in front of the court of law, is there enough evidence in my life to say yes, that that man truly lives for Jesus Christ? That man is a follower of Jesus Christ. Would there be enough evidence in your life? Could they say that about you in your walk with Christ? But not only am I saying that this is a good idea, I'm saying we should be doing this because the Word of God tells us to. In 2 Corinthians 13, Excuse me. In 2 Corinthians 13, it says to examine yourself, take a look at your faith, test yourself, see if you're in the faith. Do we have Jesus Christ in us? Do we have his spirit, the spirit of the one true God dwelling within us? And if we can't answer that, simply put, we're failing the test. And I can tell you without a doubt that the Holy Spirit of the one true living God is living with inside of me. And I can know it for a fact. Because it's so real for me that when I gave my life to Christ, I was living in sin, I was living in filth, and I was living totally contrary to the Word of God. But when I gave myself to Christ, when I began to walk with the Lord on a daily basis, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, there was a radical change within me. Pastor Jack Hibbs of Calvary Chapel Chino Hills, he always says, when you become a Christian, you can't even sin good anymore. And how true is that? I feel the conviction when I'm doing things wrong. I feel God's power when I'm doing things the way God wants me to do. And I feel the spiritual warfare because the light is in me. We live in a dark world and the darkness doesn't like it. And for those of you who are filled with the Spirit, I know you feel that spiritual warfare too. And this is the question that every believer needs to ask. Do I truly have God's Spirit in me? And if a person can't answer that, they are on extremely dangerous grounds. We need to be asking ourselves these hard questions. How do I know if I have Christ in me? How do I know if I am a true believer in Jesus Christ, the assurance of salvation? It's at this point when we get into 1 John, we really get into the meat and potatoes of this letter. This is where John intends for you and I to be. If you look at John 1, he he doesn't even take the time to introduce himself in chapter 1. He just gets right into it. He says, man, I've been, I have walked with Christ. I've seen him. I feel him. Now we're getting to the point. This is where he intends for you to be. And when you're going through 1 John, I would encourage you to read it on your own. I would strongly suggest that you take an honest inventory of yourself when going through 1 John. What is your walk with Christ like? Is your life exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are you growing in your faith? You see, after we come into God's family, we're to look to Jesus Christ as our example of the kind of life that we should be living. But is it truly possible to know God and have no life change? It's been said that you study the Bible to know God, but you obey the Bible to really know God. When the 10th Hour Project was out here, they gave a little card that my wife and I put on our fridge And it's just a little card like this. And it says it's 18 inches from your brain to your heart. You can have all the head knowledge in the world, but do you have a relationship with Christ? And the Apostle John would agree with that. He's going to explain in 1 John, it's one thing to say you know God, but it's actually quite another to really know him. Knowing God and loving God are intimately wet ideas throughout this uh, five-chapter letter. He's going to use the words more than 40 times in these five chapters that knowing God and loving God will lead to obedience. 40 times in just five chapters, that's what he's going to say. And when going through verses 3 to 11 last time, back in April... Man, I couldn't help but think, man, when I was preparing that message, the Lord kept laying the parable, the wheats and the tares from Matthew 13 on my heart. You see, there's going to be a time on this earth when God is going to separate the true believers from the false believers. True believers, we know where they're going. They're going to heaven. But false believers, you know where they're going to be gathered and where their eternal destiny is, and it's hell. It's hell. And hell is not a pretty place to talk about. We don't talk about hell in 2019 America. We avoid the topic of hell at all costs. We don't like to talk about the consequences of our sin. You see, the age of the Gentiles, the church age, is soon going to be over. Christ is coming for His church. And man, if you haven't been watching the news, Turkey is moving into Syria as we speak. That goes right along with Ezekiel 38-39. Turkey, Russia, and Iran gathering north of Syria. That is a major sign of our Lord's return. And you need to make sure that you are a true believer in Christ. You need to make sure that you are part of his church. That's why Paul challenges you and I in 2 Corinthians 13. Examine yourselves, test yourselves, see if you're living in the faith. And when talking about the wheat and tares parable... We're not necessarily talking about believers and unbelievers. I thought about that. That's what I thought it was for the longest time. But what we're talking about is people within the within the church who show up on a Sunday morning, who show up at a midweek service. They show up and they say, "I'm a Christian. I'm a part of the church." And God says within His Word that amongst those people, you're going to have two different types of people. You're going to have those Christians who are bearing fruit, who are real, true Christians. And then you're going to have those who are fake, who are false, who are empty. In every church, you're going to find people who are not truly believing in Christ. And it's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? But here's the fact. There's always been terrors in the church. Always. That's what the Word of God tells us. You study church history. You go all the way back to the very beginning. There were people who were mixed in the church for one reason or another. It could have been for a selfish reason, a foolish reason, an ignorant reason. They were there, they pretended they were a part of the church, but really they had no desire to do what God has called them to do. So this is not anything new, but I'm going to suggest to you, the further along we get in this thing called life, the closer we get to our Lord's return, the closer we get to the rapture of the church, and it's coming soon, you're going to find there's more and more people who are within the church, but they're not actually a part of the church. They're not born again. They're just sitting there, empty, so we have to ask ourselves these questions, and it's important for each and every one of us to ask us, am I a true believer in Jesus Christ? Do I really truly believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Have I fully trusted myself over to him? And when we looked at 1 John 2, 3-11, to we looked at what we call the three birthmarks of a Christian. When you were born again, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God put distinct marks on you birthmarks, you can say, of your assurance as a child of God. If you don't see these birthmarks in your life, if you don't discover these traits in your walk with God, you need to ask yourself, have you ever really been born from above? Are you heaven bound? You see, it's one thing to talk religion, but it's another thing to have it. So if you have your Bibles open to 1 John, look at 1 John 2, verse 4. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. Look at verse 6. He who says that he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. And then look at verse 9. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. How do each of those verses begin? He that says, he that says, he that says... You see, it's one thing to talk the talk, but it's quite another thing to walk the walk. He that says, some of us, man, we talk a really good religion, we talk a good game, but are we walking it? Each of those phrases, he that says, introduced us to a birthmark of a believer when we went over it. The first birthmark, a true believer will submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Verses three and four, now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. If you say Christ is your Lord and you don't keep his word, that is a contradiction. Jesus said in Luke 6, uh, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord? But you don't even do the things that I say. Lord means master and he has every right to give his commandments. So I'm going to ask you a question. Have you been born again? You say, yes, I have, Dave. I've been born again. So I'm going to ask you, are you keeping his commandments? Because if you're not keeping his commandments, then John says, not Dave, not Pastor Zeke or Pastor Daniel. John says, if you're not keeping his commandments, you're what? You're a liar. Now, this doesn't mean you can't ever get blown off course. But I'm going to tell you this. If you have no desire to live your life according to the word of God, If you can sin carelessly without any conviction, if you could just go this way, let God's commandments go the other way, then you need to get saved. I didn't say that. That's what the Apostle John says right here. The Apostle John says, he who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is what? That person is a liar. So the first trait of a believer we looked at was a true believer will submit To his lordship. God says this is what I want you to do. And a true believer has his word. He who does not keep his commandments. John calls a liar. If Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life. Then you're not on the road to heaven. And it makes me wonder. What John would say in a letter today. To the seeker friendly churches of our time. That want all the feel good stuff. Make me feel good. Don't talk about hell. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about the commandments. You see this isn't legalism here. This is love from John. John loves you know why I keep the commandments of, uh, of Jesus? It's because I love him. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And just a few verses later in 21, he says, It is he who has my commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me. The second birthmark we looked at of a true believer is that a true believer will seek his lifestyle. Look at verses 5 and 6. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says that he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So here John's not talking about his lordship now. Now he's talking about his lifestyle. You submit to his lordship and then you seek his lifestyle. You ought to walk as Jesus walked. If what you call being saved has not made you like Jesus, then you have not been saved. Being saved will will make you like Jesus. John says very clearly in verse 6 that he who abides in Jesus ought to walk as he walked. If you flip over to 1 John 4, 17, and in 1 John 4, 17, it says, Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Look at 1 John 3, 3. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And don't miss those phrases. Just as he is, even as he is, as he is, as he is. So are we, 1 John 4, 17. We ought to walk as he walked, 1 John 2, 6. As he did this, my lifestyle is to have the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had a lifestyle of honesty. Jesus Christ had a lifestyle of purity. If you have a lifestyle that's built on dishonesty, then simply put, you are not walking as Jesus walked, and you are not walking in the light. And if you are not walking in the light, you have absolutely no right to call yourself a child of God. The first mark of a believer is somebody who submits to his lordship. The second birthmark was someone who will seek his lifestyle. And then that brought us to the third birthmark. A true believer will show the love of Jesus Christ. The third birthmark simply that you will go out there and share his love. Look at verses 7 and 8. First uh, uh, John 2, 7 and 8. It says, brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the very beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. So that word new that John uses in verse 8, It does not refer to something that's never been heard before. We would probably actually use the word fresh today. Although this is, in other words, even though this is an old commandment, it's not stale, it's not archaic. It was as just as fresh as the day it was first given. It's old because Jesus tells us in Matthew 22, 36 that love is the first and the greatest commandment. So when Jesus makes that statement, he's going all the way back to the Old Testament. But why is it new? Because Jesus says in John 13, 34, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So what were the birthmarks of a believer? You submit to his lordship, you seek his lifestyle, and you go out there and you share his love. That's it. And if these things aren't there, don't call yourself a Christian. But listen to me, if a person is saved, all those traits are going to show in their life. One of my favorite authors was a pastor. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you don't know, probably his most classic book is um, The Costly Discipleship, The Cost of Discipleship. And he was a pastor during the Nazi era. And he was young, stood up against Hitler, and he was martyred for his faith against Hitler. But man, a remarkable story if you ever have a chance to read any of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's books. But he says in his book, Costly Discipleship, only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. You're not saved by keeping the commandments. You're not saved by walking as Jesus walked. You're not saved by loving your brother. But if you're saved, you're going to be doing all of those things. And in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, when Pastor Jacob went over it a few Sundays ago, we went over the verse, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So may our walk match our talk. And that leads us into tonight, verses 12 and 14. And we're going to dive into verses 12 and 14, but... There's a natural transition as we go from the birthmarks of a believer, and now we're going to talk about tonight the spiritual growth of a believer, but I felt it was just really important because it was so long ago when we went over that, that we just kind of have a grasp of where John's heading next in his transition, but uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, guys, we just come before you here this evening, Father, and just like Thomas praying, Father, I know a lot of us have had busy days, Father. We're coming here, and we're tired and exhausted, and we just pray, God, that you block out all the distractions of the world and speak to us individually, Holy Spirit, God, and uh, we're just excited to see you do a mighty works, God. As we were just talking about, we know you're coming for your church very soon, and um, we want to be used by you and uh, have those birthmarks of a of a believer, God, show in our daily walk with you, and we're excited uh Just for tonight, God, to hear you speak and just do a mighty works. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So 1 John 2, 12 to 14. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven to you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young man, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I have written to you, young man, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So you notice the sequence here. Children, young man, fathers. And again, we're going to be looking at spiritual life this evening, spiritual growth John just kind of went over the birthmarks of a believer, the traits of a believer, and now we should be looking at our spiritual growth. And there's just this natural transition in these three verses. When you first read it, I know when I was looking at about praying over it, there's a lot jam-packed into those three verses. But I want to ask you a question, and I want you to answer it honestly, sincerely. You don't have to raise your hand. But are you a growing Christian? Are you a growing Christian? Do you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ more than you did last year, more than you did last week? So you see, there are Christians who are saved, but they're not growing. They're like a tree stump, man. They're just stagnant. They're not growing. They're not going anywhere. And the failure to grow spiritually is tragic in your walk with Christ. Spiritual growth is a responsibility for each and every one of us in this room. And the goal of spiritual development is to become like Christ. Again, when you come into God's family, you look to Christ as the example that you should be living. In Philippians 3, 13, 14, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of this, but one thing I do, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So what is the goal? The goal is the prize of the upward call. And what's the prize when you're called up? The prize is to be like Christ. You will be like him because you will see him as he is. 1 John 3, 2 actually says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Romans 8, 29 says that we're being conformed to the very form of Christ, God's Son. When I think of being a mature believer, I think of being like Christ. We just read 1 John 2, 6. He who says that he abides in him ought to walk as he walked. Becoming like Christ is the objective of our spiritual maturity. And there's a lot in Scripture that you can find about the process of this spiritual growth. Ephesians four fifteen. says, says that we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body the church. Paul is saying, to grow up in Christ likeness." there's a verse that's kind of often overlooked, but in 1 Corinthians 13 it's the love chapter, but in 1 Corinthians 13:11, Paul says, "Man, at one time I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child, and then I became a man and I put away childish things, and I love it. 1 Peter 2.2 tells us, Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow by it. Just as a baby desires milk to grow, you desire the milk of the word. It's your food, so you can also grow. But before we move on any further, and we discuss these uh, different stages in our spiritual walk, I feel there's some things I want to address so there's no misunderstanding, so everyone's clear. Number one, your spiritual growth has nothing to do with your standing before God in Christ. That's already been settled when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. The righteousness of Christ covered you when you put your trust in him. That's what Paul tells us in Philippians 3.9. He says, to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So your standing before God's already been set. You've been covered with the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. It doesn't change wherever you are in your spiritual growth. If you're a spiritual child, a spiritual young man, a spiritual father, you're standing before God has been fixed forever. Colossians 2.10 says that you are complete. You are complete through your union with Christ. As far as God is concerned, it's already been settled. He sees you as in his son as being righteous, as being perfect. 2 Corinthians 5.21 sums it up. We know this verse well. For he made him, who's him? He made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So wherever you are in this spiritual development, if you are a spiritual child this evening, if you are a spiritual young man, if you're a spiritual father, we're going to cover all three of those It doesn't have any impact on your standing before God. That has already been settled. Number two, your spiritual growth has nothing to do with God's love for you. God doesn't love you more or like you better if you're spiritually mature. John 13, 1, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, unto perfection. The Lord loves all unto perfection perfection. And when Jesus said that, they were in the upper room. Talk about spiritually immature. They were prideful. They were boastful. They were insincere to Jesus having to go face the cross. They were actually arguing who was the greatest. And Jesus still loved them to the end unto perfection. Jesus loves us with a perfect love. He cannot love us more because we're more mature. He cannot love us less because we're less mature. In fact, in Romans, it says that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. It actually uses the word while we were still his enemies. He loved us. So where we are in the process of our spiritual growth, it does not affect our standing with him or his love for us. Number three, spiritual growth has nothing to do with time. It's not measured by the calendar, you can say. There are people, sadly to say, who have been Christians for a very long time, and they are still very spiritually immature. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, I could not speak to you as spiritual man, as to mature people. I could only speak to you as babes in Christ. I could only give you milk to drink. I cannot give you solid food, for you're not even able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able to receive it. By the time Paul writes to them, they should have matured beyond this infant stage. But they weren't growing. They're like that tree stump. They were just stagnant. In Hebrews chapter 5, the writer notes that they should have been further along in their spiritual growth. But they were still stuck in the same place. Hebrews 5.12, the the writer says, For though by this time you should be teachers, but you still need someone to teach you the very first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk instead of solid food. You should be eating at the Texas Roadhouse, having a good ribeye steak, but you're still drinking formula milk. And in the context of this chapter, the the writer's talking to people who have not even become believers yet. But the writer says, You've had plenty of time. You've had enough time and enough exposure. You should be teachers by now. But instead of being teachers, you're still being taught the very basics. It's frankly common for people to be Christians for years, and if not even decades, and they just remain in the infant stage of their spiritual walk. Number four, spiritual growth is not related to knowledge. It's not related to acquiring biblical information or biblical theology. There are people who have accumulated biblical information, but they still remain in infancy and tragic levels of immaturity. And unless that knowledge is pure, unless that knowledge is being applied so as to conform your life to Christ, that information does nothing but fill your mind with facts. And that's actually pretty dangerous because the more biblical information that you're receiving, but you're not applying in your walk with God, you're being deceived about your spiritual state of maturity. It's even in James 2.19, it warns us, you believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. If the knowledge you have received is not life-changing, it's becoming spiritually deadening. Again, I think of that 18 inches, man, from the brain to the heart, that 10th hour project he handed out when we were leaving those doors that one Sunday. That's got to be the farthest 18 inches. A lot of people getting biblical information, but it's not being applied outside of these walls. And number five, Spiritual growth has nothing to do with temporary success. It's nothing to do with material goods, the size of the church, the size of your ministry, the level of your influence. These things are not signs of maturity. Having material goods, being prosperous, those things do not at all prove spiritual maturity. They have no connection to maturity at all. The Apostle Paul was actually content with suffering and persecution and in weakness The fact that Paul was content with absolutely nothing was signs of his maturity. So when we start talking about spiritual growth, I feel that we need to clear up some misconceptions. It's got nothing to do with your standing before God. That's already been fixed through faith in Christ alone. It's got nothing to do with God's love for you. That's already been established for eternity. It's got nothing to do with time. There have been people who are Christians for a very long time and they're still in the infant stage. And then there's people who've been Christians for a short time, and they are progressing rapidly towards maturity. It's got nothing to do with biblical information. Because, again, you can have all the information in the world, but if it's not being applied, it's doing you no good. And it's got nothing to do with prosperity, temporary success, the size of your ministry, or your level of influence. So now, again, we ought to be a growing Christian. And when talking about being a growing Christian, and we're talking about maturity. You can be young only once, right? We know that. But you can be immature for a very long time. There's people 40, 50, 60, still very spiritually immature. So let's talk about being a growing Christian. There's not a person in this building, who, in my mind, who does not need this message. You see, we haven't arrived. And it was in 2 Timothy four seven. Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I finished, I've kept the faith. I've finished strong. So may we finish our race strong. May we continue to grow up all the way up until the end, just like Paul. So again, maturity is likeness. Maturity is being like Christ. In Ephesians 4.13, Paul says, Till we come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, and I stress, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now that word perfect means mature. So what Paul is saying is this. The goal of my ministry is to present every man a mature Christian. And that's our goal here at Calvary Chapel. We thank God for the building we've been blessed with. We thank God for the ministries, the Sunday school attendance, the budget. But all of that is for nothing if we are not growing in our relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If we are not becoming Christ-like. So what is our, the goal of our ministry here at Calvary Chapel? What's our measurement, you can say? Are we becoming more Christ-like? Are we growing daily in our walk with Christ? Are we growing in our faith? If we're becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ, then that would be a blessing to the pastoral staff. To see us as a church grow in our faith. To see us as a church grow in our relationship with the Lord. Now maturity is a lifelong process. And when you look at verses 12 to 14, again, you notice that the Apostle John addresses the three stages in life. Childhood, little children, young manhood, fatherhood. And all of us here this evening, we're in one of those three categories here tonight. And like we've already mentioned, God loves them all. God loves you. But God wants you to move in progression through these stages all the way until you reach the fatherhood stage. And until, like Paul said, I finished my race, I finished strong, all the way up until the very end. In our physical life, we're babies, we're children, we're adolescents, and then we grow up to become fathers and mothers. So what is the mark of a childlike Christian? Little children, they know the thrilling wonders of childhood. Look at verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. A newborn Christian is thrilled at knowing Jesus. A newborn Christian blesses God that his sins are forgiven. You can say a newborn Christian, man, they're all tomorrows. There's no yesterdays. They are thrilled and they're looking to the future with hope. They're excited. Look at the children's ministry. Look at those little kids, man. Little children have the thrilling wonders of childhood. But the little child lives in the realm of their feelings. It's so wonderful to be a little child. They have not lost the wonder of childhood yet. Maybe you're a little childhood here. Maybe you're a little child uh, here this evening. You've been saved within the last year. You've been saved within the last six months, and you can't get over that all of your sins have been forgiven. Man, how good that feels to have that burden lifted off, that weight. Not just some of your sins, half your sins. Man, that all of my sins have been lifted off, and you're just excited. We've seen those newborn Christians. They're out there. They're sharing their faith. They're pumped. They're excited. Now, little children are wonderful, but we do not want to stay as little children. I used to think that a perfect church was where everybody was a mature, spirit-filled, Christ-like believer. But I was wrong. That's not a perfect church. That would actually be a failing church. If everyone were a Christ-like, mature Christian, that means one thing's not happening. There are not people who are being saved day by day. We ought to hear the cry of newborn babies. When souls are coming forward and Pastor Zeke's doing an altar call and people are giving their hearts to Jesus Christ, they ought to be rejoicing. But you could say that this this church ought to be a maternity ward that is filled with those who are being saved day by day with new believers. But the sad thing is that when the church becomes a maternity ward for some, they stay in it until it becomes a nursing home and they never mature. So you have the thrilling wonders of childhood. But that brings us to the young man stage of the, the triumphant warfare of manhood. Look at verses uh, 13, 14. It says, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young man, because you have overcome The wicked one. And skip all the way down to verse 14. It says, And I have written to you, young man, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So, what does this mean? We have now gone from childhood into the young manhood. The apostle John says that they are workers, these people are warriors. And I thank God for the workers in our church. I thank God for the spiritual warriors in our church. It's great to see these wholesome, vibrant, healthy people who are no longer little children, who no longer have to be served. They have have learned to go out there and serve. There's workers all over our church. The ushers are workers. The worship team's workers. Go to children's ministry right now, you'll see workers. The sound booth is workers. There's workers all over. But how does this happen? They are workers and a blessing to the church. But not only are they workers, they are warriors. But how do they become warriors? It says right there that in verse 14, the word of God made them strong. I have written to you, young man, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Now, would you like to stop being a child? Would you like to start being a worker and a warrior? Then how are you going to do it? The word of God is going to make you strong. How do you get to know somebody? You've got to spend time with them. Now, how are you going to get to know the Lord Jesus Christ? The only way to get to know your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is to get into his word. Many people feel that they go to Bible study once a week. That will do. But the word of God is just like food. Imagine eating a meal just once a week. You'd be in bad shape. And the word of God, it's even referred to as the bread of life. If we are to know Christ we got to get to know him. you got to dig into his word. If you think just coming on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half, coming just to the midweek service is going to do it, it's not enough. How do you overcome the wicked one? With the word of God. A few Saturdays ago, we had a men's conference at the Calvary Chapel, Victorville. They went over Ephesians 6 about the spiritual armor when you fight spiritual warfare. What's the offensive weapon? There's only one offensive weapon mentioned, the sword of the spirit. What's the sword of the spirit? It's the word of God. If you're gonna be able to defend yourself against the devil, you're gonna have to have knowledge of God's word. And only you can answer that right now. How much knowledge do you have of God's word? He even challenges you better be able to defend your faith when somebody comes up to you. If you have children, if you have grandchildren, I work at a high school, I guarantee you their faith is gonna be attacked. You go to a college campus, you better be able to stand for your faith. You better know the word of God or you're going to fall for anything. The reason so many believers are falling victims to the sins of the world, they're not reading God's word. They're not plugged into God's word. You eat three times a day. You need physical food to be strong, to be nourished, to have energy. And believe you me, you need spiritual food just as much, if not even more so, to be strong. When God's word takes up residence in us, then we will gain victory over Satan, the evil one. God's word is the only weapon that's going to defeat Satan. Satan, who's referred to as the prince of this world system, is what the Bible says. Now, you know what the devil wants you to do. He wants to keep you childlike. He wants you stuck in that childlike stage. He doesn't want you growing. The enemy does not want you to be strong. He does not want you to become a worker and a warrior. I enjoy sports, so I love using sports analogy. So I just imagine a JV football team up here in the high desert going up against the New England Patriots lined up on the other side. And we all know that would be ridiculous. It wouldn't even be fair. If they play some hard-nosed tackle football, it wouldn't even be a contest. The New England Patriots would destroy that JV football team. Why? Because that JV football team is not mature. And now I would, imagine the devil would be those New England Patriots and we're sending JV kids up against them. That's not a wise idea. You need to be made strong. And how are you made strong? By the word of God. So you have the child stage. You have the young man stage. And then we come to the fatherhood stage. Look at verses 13, 14. Verse 13 says, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. And then again in verse 14, I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. Now fatherhood now the fatherhood stage is maturity. We think of God as what? Not as a child, not as a young man, but as our Father, which are in heaven. And the goal of our life is to be Christ-like, but which is really to be like God the Father, because Jesus says in John 14:9, "He who has seen me has seen the Father." So how do you get to this third stage? Well, again, if you know someone long enough, you spend enough time, you begin to think like they do. You begin to act like they do. Maybe you even heard, man, if you live with someone long enough, you actually begin to look like they do. When we spend time with someone, quality time, we become like them. So let's look at what, what do fathers do? Fathers reproduce through soul winning, through discipleship. So I want to ask you, are you a disciple? Are you reproducing? Can you be called a father? If you don't have any spiritual children, are you sharing your faith? When was the last time you shared Jesus with someone? I'm not just talking about getting wiser. What I'm talking about now is winning souls. I'm talking about discipleship. What else do fathers do? Fathers provide for the needs of others. What else? Fathers have wisdom. I'm going to ask you, do people go to you when they have a heartache? Do people go to you when they're scared? Do people go to you when they have a fear, when they have a problem? Do people come and talk to you? Why is that? It's because you're mature. You've come to the fatherhood stage of maturity. As you grow up and you become a father, a father is a composite of all three of those stages. As a father, you can say you have the vision. But man, you have the zeal and the strength of a young man. But man, you have the wonder and the excitement of a child. You don't just grow from one stage to the next. You just grow and you leave the next one behind. It's actually a composite that's being built on all of them. When a person becomes a father, he's a composite of all three of those stages. In the father, you will have a little child. And if you're perfectly whole, all those stages will be inside of you here tonight. So here then is the Christian family. All of them are born-again believers. But some of them have grown out of that infant stage. They've grown into manhood. Maybe some have grown into fatherhood. And it is to the growing, maturing Christian to whom the world does not appeal. You see, a mature Christian stays away from the world because of what the world is. As we continue through the book of 1 John, it's going to get really exciting because you're going to find out now how this mature Christian lives in the world. This world is a satanic system that hates and opposes Jesus Christ. I don't need to tell you that. You guys know you live for Christ. Your faith is going to be attacked. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be ridiculed. And the next time, John is going to transition to the letter. He's going to talk about this satanic world system that we live in. Eventually, he's going to get into the Antichrist. But, it, but to the mature Christian, they stay away from the world because of what the world does, what the world is. It attracts us to live on sinful substitutes. The mature Christian is too interested in loving his father. The mature Christian is too interested in going out there doing his father's uh, will. The attractions of this world have no appeal to the fatherhood, to that person who's in that fatherhood stage. He realizes that the things of the world are only toys. He can say, man, with Paul, when I became a man, I put away those those childish things. So who's writing this letter again? John. Pastor Zeke just told us last Sunday, going through Acts, John, what was his nickname? What was the nickname of John. The son of thunder, John. Here was a man who previously had temper. He was calling for fire, man. Whenever he blasted blast them, he had anger fire. Nuke, let's nuke these people. This is not a guy that we would probably want to go on a road trip with, spend time with. But this man was changed. John was transformed. And then as you get through the book of Acts, instead of calling for fire and to blast them, he's now calling for the Holy Spirit to fall upon people. So we've talked about the marks of maturity that lead to fatherhood. But what are the means of maturity? We need to grow up. We don't want to be on that JV football team having to go up against the New England Patriots. You need to be strong in the Lord. So in closing, I just want to look at a few means of maturity. Number one, there needs to be the miracle of life. You cannot begin to grow until you have life. That's just the natural order of things. It's the way God created both the natural and the spiritual world. In order to have life, you need to be born again. God's word tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus gives us life. Without Jesus, we are spiritually dead. We are dead in our trespasses and our sins. So you need the miracle of life. Number two, it takes time. There is the passing of time. There's no such thing as instant maturity. It's just not going to happen. God wants you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But the secret of maturity is spending time because you are not going to mature overnight. Number three, all growth requires nourishment. You're going to have to feed on the word of God. What does it say right here? I talk, to you into, I talk to you, young man, because the word of God abides in you. In 1 Peter 2.2, 2, again, we already read it, but it says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, you grow thereby. Desire that pure milk. Church, listen, there is no possible way under God's son that you are going to grow if you are not taking the nourishment of God's word. And again, that nourishment is God's word. I love the book of Jeremiah because in Jeremiah 15, listen what the prophet Jeremiah says. He says, your words were found, this is Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them. Your words were found and I ate them. Your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Jeremiah says, Lord, I devoured your word. Lord, I fed on your word. You know, too many of us, I feel, are reading our Bibles almost like a recipe book we we never take the time to actually sit down and enjoy the meal to feed on it like the prophet jeremiah just said i heard this joke where this man says to his wife why do you call it shopping you never buy anything and she replies to her husband well why do you call it fishing you never catch anything some people just kind of window shop through their bible that's a nice verse That's a beautiful, oh, that makes me feel good. Friends, you need to feed on the word of God on a daily basis. You need to know the word of God. If what you call getting God's word, oh, I like that verse. Oh, that's a nice verse. You need to feed on the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in your hearts. And number four, growth demands the discipline of exercise. Hebrews 5.14 says, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who have by reason, listen to this, have use of their senses exercised exercised to discern both good and evil. The writer is talking about people who have become full grown. He's talking about your spiritual senses that are getting exercised, just like in the physical realm. When your physical body exercises, it toughens up, you can say. In the church today, especially here in 2019 America, how many people are exercising spiritually? You can go to 24-Hour Fitness and LA Fitness. I guarantee you that place is going to be packed. But we have become flabby when it comes to our spiritual growth. A lot of Christians have no strength. A lot of Christians have no biceps. They have no vitality because they're not exercising in the Word of God. People come on a Sunday morning. They come on a midweek service, and they think that by sitting here... They're serving God. We call this service. It's not the service. The service begins when you leave out those doors here tonight. That's the service. That's when your service begins. Are you ready to go out there and serve God? Are you ready to go out there and grow? Are you ready to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Don't worry about what you can't do. Find out what you can do and begin to do and allow God to use you. God's going to stretch you. He's going to take you out of your comfort zone. Allow God to use you, and you're going to grow. Remember, it takes life to grow. It takes nourishment to grow, and it takes exercise to grow. So I want you to take inventory here tonight. Are you a little child saying, God, thank you that my sins are forgiven? Well, I thank God, too, that our sins are forgiven. But there's more to it than just that. Are you a young man? Are you a worker and a warrior serving in the church? This church would not exist without the workers and the warriors that we've been blessed with. But that's not your final goal. Your final goal is to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, actually like the Father. In John 10.30, Jesus said that I and my Father are one. You need to be the kind of Christian that can reproduce discipleship. You need to be the kind of Christian that has fatherly wisdom. You need to be the kind of Christian that can not only meet your own needs, but you can go and meet the needs of others where other people can come to. So we're going to close in prayer here. But you may, I just want to say, man, may we all be a growing Christian. If you could, if God could help John grow this one, this guy who is this one time son of thunder. And he became this wonderful apostle who would write these three letters and go on to write the book of Revelation. Man, God could do the same thing with us. God's looking for people to use. He's looking for people who are committed to him. Think of the prophet Isaiah. Here I am, Lord, send me. Lord, write this message on our hearts, but may tonight... My my prayer is for us that we don't just walk out of here and forget it. That we really truly believe this. That you guys go out there and I challenge you. Get in God's word. Be that growing Christian. If you're a child, get into young manhood. If you're a young manhood, fatherhood. If you're a father, go out there and make disciples. Share your faith. It's convicting me. When was the last time I shared my faith? It's one thing to be in here. We come in here. We encourage one another. We regroup. And we go out there. And that's our calling. that's That's our service out there. Amen. Let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, God is... We just end here in closing, Father, we just thank you God for this time together. And Holy Spirit, I just pray God that you speak to each of us individually, Father, and the reminder that wherever we are in our spiritual walk, Lord Jesus, that you, that you love us just as equally, Father, and your desires for us to grow in your word, to be used by you, Father. Looking back at those birthmarks of a Christian father, I pray that those birthmarks in our walk with you, that we're submitting to your lordship, that we're seeking your lifestyle, that we're sharing your love, Lord Jesus. And I pray that this message that has been written on our hearts, Lord Jesus, that when we leave, God, we know the enemy tries to throw darts and gets us distracted with the busyness of the world. But I pray, God, that we will be devoted to you and and feed on your word, God, not just once a week or twice on a daily basis. We love you and we thank you for this word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.